If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn and um, can look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. And uh, I'm going to just read for you down through chapter 5, verse 2. And uh, for those of you that are new or visiting this week, we are in the middle of our series called A Masterpiece in Progress. And we're working our way through the letter that uh, Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And we are now in the middle of chapter 4. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Um, It's a little bit easier in terms of the language that is used to understand, but uh, you will get the same meaning if you're reading from any other version. So, 417, let's uh, follow along here. It says, With the Lord's authority, I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Amen. Let me try out this analogy on you for a minute. Um, it's, a work in my, it's a work in progress in my brain, so work with me for a minute. All right. How many of you like to drink coffee? How many of you would say you can't get going in the morning without your cup of coffee? All right, fewer of you. That's good. Good for you. There's a few of us, though, that need that cup of coffee, right, to get going in the morning. Um, How many of you find that you get that cup of coffee, it's nice, piping hot, and you you drink a few sips, get a little distracted, and then before you know it, 
kind of mid-morning, you kind of go back to your coffee and you realize, oh, I didn't finish my coffee. Anybody have that experience? And, um, and then you have the dilemma of uh, how many times to reheat it throughout the day, right? Um, and it becomes this ongoing journey of what do I do with my coffee and how does it serve me, right? Here's the analogy. What if church was a little bit like your coffee? And what if you kind of like get excited about church, you go to church on Sunday and the temperature's really hot and things are going really, really well, and then you walk out those doors and immediately somebody's asking you this, that, this, that, the other thing, or you got an appointment to get to, or you got somewhere to go, or you got something, go and by Monday... You go back to that experience and you're like, oh, that feels cold. So what do I do? How do I get the temperature back up? Who do I connect to? Who do I talk to? How do I do it? Now here's where the work in progress comes because what I'd like for us to think about with this cup of coffee and our experience with our cup of coffee, the church, Sometimes we think of ourselves as the person who's drinking the coffee. And as long as the temperature's hot, and as long as it's good, I'm doing good. I'm feeling better. But what if I could reframe your thinking and tell you that you actually aren't the person drinking it. You're actually the microwave. You're the church. You're the reason that that coffee cup is hot to begin with you're the kettle that poured the tea or poured the water into the coffee to begin with you're not the consumer of the coffee you're the reason the coffee is hot to begin with you see our spiritual lives the the integrity of our personal lives really sets the temperature for the spiritual maturity of our church. And I think that's what we're going to be getting into over the next couple of weeks with what Paul is talking about, is we're not the consumers in this sense of, of, who, of what the church is. We are, we are the reason. We are the church. We are the reason the church is hot or cold. And we have to look inside of ourselves and recognize how am I contributing to make that experience better or how am I not contributing and allowing that experience to grow cold let me just review for you really quickly for the last couple of weeks um, we've been looking at this but last week we started talking about Ephesians chapter 4 and I said this statement you some of you wrote it down when we choose to believe we choose to leave our old ways behind, and we choose to cleave, that is to cling to, take hold of, that which is new in Christ. That is the experience that Paul has laid out for us in Ephesians and in the beginning part of chapter 4, where he has transitioned now from talking about the big picture of the church into now talking about us individually and personally. And so he's made this shift and this is the big idea. That was the big idea from last week. We said, just to break down these verses, from 4.1 all the way into chapter 5, verse 21, we're talking about two different concepts here. We're talking about one people, that is, we are united in Christ. And we talked about that last week. 
But we're also talking about one purpose, and that is to be set apart, to be holy. And that is what we're going to be picking up today. We'll be talking about this this week and next week. So that's 417 through 521. We're going to stop at verse 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 2. We ended with this thought last week. Diversity leads to maturity within the context of the church. Our diversity is what helps us to grow as individuals and to help us be unified as the church, to become what God has visioned for us to become of his church. So that's where we ended last week. Just wanted to bring you up to speed. Here's the thought that I want you to be thinking about this week as we get into these verses. In addition to being the reason that the coffee might be hot, right? Spiritually mature communities require spiritually mature people. See, there's a whole lot of people out in the world right now. You know them, I know them, you and I are them that are trying to do an awful lot of really good stuff. We're trying to make the world a better place. We're trying to invest in all those areas that we need to invest in from areas of injustice and racism and discrimination. We're trying to do all the the good stuff. There's a lot of people trying to do really good things, but the problem is their own lives don't necessarily live up to the standard they're trying to set for everybody else. And when that creeps into the church, then we have a problem within the church because we're trying to be something in the world but we as individuals and the church aren't quite measuring up and so people look outside and they look in and they say who are they why would i follow them why would i be a part of them because they don't really live out they don't live up to the expectations that they're setting for themselves And I think that's why Paul transitions to getting a little bit more personal in these verses. He's talked about the big picture of the church. He's talked about its marvelous vision, the way it is supposed to be impacting the heavenly realms. He's talked about it in grand scale, and now he's bringing it back and he's saying, but you, but you and I, we now have to live up to that. I would say this, the integrity of our personal lives will set the spiritual temperature of our church community. Hence, the coffee cup analogy, right? The integrity of our personal lives will set the spiritual temperature of our church community. Weigh some of these options in your mind for a minute. When I'm tired, it's easier to watch TV than to read my Bible. When I'm hungry, it's easier to eat something processed than something I have to make. When I'm in a group, I enjoy fitting in rather than standing out. When faced with a decision, I tend to trust my feelings more than some principles that I'm not really sure I believe in anyway. When I see others enjoying life who aren't Christians, I sometimes want what they have. When I'm drawn to do something that is wrong, I can easily make an excuse or convince myself that I'll just do better next time. Paul gets really practical over these next few verses, and so are we. We're going to get kind of 
practical over the next few verses, in the next couple of weeks. Now, I want to caution us as we enter into this because uh, the worst thing that we can do is boil the Christian life down to a bunch of do's and don'ts and call it a morning. We know that's not what this is about. I just, can you raise your hand or say amen or something? We know that's not what this is about. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's not just a set of rules. But lived out, when we live these things out, we should look different than the rest of the world. Why? Because we don't live according to our flesh. We don't live according to what we feel. We don't live according to even what we think. We live by the Spirit of God. And it means that we think and we act and we relate to one another differently than the rest of the world, or we should. That's what the church is supposed to be doing. Something different, set apart, holy, our purpose. There's an old Chinese proverb or some proverb you probably know it from some other. It's not biblical, so I'm just going to say it. It's not biblical. But it makes a lot of sense. Hear this. You've probably heard it before. Be careful of your thoughts, for your thoughts become your words. Be careful of your words, for your words become your actions. Be careful of your actions, for your actions become your habits. Be careful of your habits, for your habits become your character. And be careful of your character... For your character becomes your destiny. Little building blocks in our personal journey that lead us down a path one way or another. As we keep going forward here, just remember our context. All that we've been talking about, Paul's been emphasizing Christian unity. Christian unity. Unity, unity within the church. So just remember that big picture context here. Now it comes with Paul's exhortation to express it in holiness. Some of us think that holiness is perfection. Raise your hand if that comes to mind. Some of us think that way. Uh, Some of us think that holiness is a bunch of rules. Anybody ever? Don't drink, don't smoke, don't go to movies. Remember the rules, the codes, right? Um, it's not that. Holiness means to be set apart. The Christian community, the church, must look different. It must be different than the ways of the world in order to be emphasizing that God is unique and doing something different among us. Again, it's not a legalistic framework, but it's a recognition of a life modeled after Christ, of who he is, And that it will be different than a life modeled after something called anything goes, a free-for-all. When we live for Christ, we live differently. Or we should. Remember, spiritual maturity breeds spiritual fruit. And that starts with our personal habits, our personal thoughts, and our attitudes. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, this message may sound a little bit funny to you. Hopefully, by the end of the morning, you'll desire to know more. And you'll want to dig into this. And you'll want to understand what we're talking about. But remember, Paul isn't talking here to people outside of the church. He's talking to the church. The church that he had planted. The people that he had taught about who Jesus Christ is. This message is for those who are inside the church. The world, as we know it today, is hurting. 
It's hurting. It's lonely. And it's looking for alternatives. I was trolling through Facebook last night and I read a long post from a former New Hoper, person who has been in our youth group here. And he was lamenting his own personal journey of being able to put on a good face and smile and let everybody think that he's all right. Meanwhile, he had written his own suicide note. And he said, it's not anybody else's fault that they didn't know because it was my job to make it look good. And I did, and I didn't care, and I just wanted everybody to know and be happy. And I made people feel really comfortable. And I joked with them, and I had a really good time with them. But it masked everything that was down inside of me. And the point of that particular post was... Don't not ask how people are really doing just because they look like they're doing okay. Dig. Ask. Don't assume. Because you might be missing something super, super important. The world is hurting. It's lonely. And people are looking for alternatives. They turn to all kinds of things that their flesh says will fill the void, whether it's drugs or alcohol to excess, or whether it's sex in a physical relationship, or sex through pornography or other virtual means, whether it's parties and getting drunk or bringing TV show, binging on TV shows while eating junk food. We can see and we can resonate when Paul says that people are hopelessly confused. The NRSV of that verse says that they live in the futility of their thinking, looking for ways to cope rather than their own following their own feelings and satiating their appetites with anything that feels right in the moment. And lest you think that this is somehow just a passive thing, that it's just happening to us and in the loneliness of time, things just kind of come at me and I can't say no to them, um, we know that's not true as well because many people actually steal their hearts against Christ. And in the hardness of their heart, their minds become dull to the things of God. They focus on anything but something spiritual. And they lose focus on God. And they wander away far from the things of God. Romans chapter 1 verse 19 starting there says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, His eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things He has made. So they are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile, there it is, futile in their thinking, and their senseless minds were darkened. This isn't just a passive reality that happens to people. It's a purposeful pursuit of filling our lives with things that we think will make us feel better. And along the way, our minds and our hearts get darkened and our thinking becomes more and more futile. And Paul says here that that is what many of you and I were before we knew Christ. We were wandering aimlessly. 
and through willful negligence and disobedience or the pursuit of selfish pleasure, our senseless minds were darkened. Then, then God got a hold of us. And by his grace, we turned around. We turned around. But for many of us, we actually failed to leave our old patterns of thinking and habits completely behind. So we turned around, but we kind of kept a hold of everything that we did before. We tried to bring those habits into the church, and they really just didn't fit. Why? Because the old habits, the old ways of thinking, they just don't allow for unity. They don't allow for love. They don't allow us to live into the fullness of our relationships. They keep us at the center instead of Christ and his church. Think about it this way. Let me put it in this context for you. How does lying promote unity? It doesn't, right? How does stealing promote unity? How does lust and greed promote unity? How about harsh talking? How about anger, bitterness, rage, slander? Look at all these things that Paul has named in this. How does any of that promote unity and yet... Some of us, do any of us want to be in a relationship with people that live or act like that? No. And yet some of us still live like that. And Paul is saying, no. No, we can't live like that. You have been taught differently. What did you learn about Christ? Was he a liar? Was he a cheater? Was he a hater? A player? Was he a backstabber? Backstabber? Is that Christ? Is that what you have learned about who Christ is? Did he level verbal assaults or crude jokes to show his love for you? I know we like to rip on one another and sometimes we rip on one another. My kids do it all the time. They rip on one another to show each other that they care. Right? Come on. You know that's true, right? You hear it. You see it. Did you learn that from Christ? No, of course not. That's how the world talks, and that's how the world relates to one another. Think about the songs that we sing. Think about the shows that you watch. Think about the things that we celebrate and praise. They are so contrary to the church. Revenge, the pursuit of wealth, getting in bed with whomever makes me feel good, lying, cheating, killing. It's all out there, and we sing its praises. Literally, through the music that we listen to. It's crazy what we idolize through song, through movie, through television, through the internet. Remember, let's go back, your personal life, your personal life, together with my personal life, is what makes our community a whole community. We're in this together. Lest you think what you're doing on your own is on your own time and doesn't affect what we do here. It's setting the temperature for where this spiritual community can go. Can you imagine, just think about this for a minute. Can you imagine Jesus waking up one morning and telling himself that he needed to sleep just a little bit longer and that God would understand? Can you imagine Jesus not wanting to help out all those people that were constantly nagging him for healing by saying that he was just a little too tired right then? 
What if Jesus, rather than seeing the woman at the well as misguided and looking for true living water, rather saw her as attractive and appealing to him, someone he could flirt with, maybe even make to like him? And who knows? Can you imagine serving a Jesus like that? Or a Jesus that was more interested in getting revenge on the Pharisees for their efforts to take him down? Or a Jesus that could use his power to find money in the mouths of fishes to help himself get rich? And yet, how many of us are living in similar ways? Do we represent him? How many times have we flirted with someone or tried to capture their attention rather than seeing them as a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister in Christ? How many times have we given into our flesh and said no to something better like prayer or reading the Bible or kind words in favor of what felt good in the moment? How many times has our anger been for selfish reasons because we felt hurt or violated or exposed rather than for something wholesome and righteous? Or something that was truly unjust and worthy of our anger. And how many times have we stewed in our anger for days? How many times have we looked out and seen the nice cars and the nice clothes and the nice lifestyles and longed for it ourselves? Here's another one. Think Jesus stewing in his anger over the temple money changers. It's a good reason, right? You're just stewing over how do we get them out of the temple and what are we going to do? How are we going to get back at them? And Imagine his disciples go to him the next day and, and he's brooding and he's stewing and he's contemplating how he was going to make it right or maybe even worse yet, contemplating, did he do the right thing? Did he do the right thing and flipping all over? The... No, he didn't think that way. Because he knew what he was doing. He knew his purpose. He knew his calling. He was set apart. And he knew every step that he took was righteous and holy. We don't have to think twice. We are like him. We are made in the image of God. We can be more and more like Christ. That's what Paul is saying. You've been taught about this guy, Jesus. He's different and so should you and I be as a result. How can our personal life be different? Paul just doesn't leave us with all the negatives, all the things that we have to let go of and all that stuff. He turns it over and he says, this is how you should live. If you were to go down in those verses, you would hear, first of all, instead of lying, we tell the truth in love. Why? Because how else can we grow in unity unless we speak truth to one another so that we don't have to second-guess each other? I love that about New Hope. We're not a gossiping community, but let's be honest, we're not all out there with our stuff either. Right? We're not all the time telling what's really going on. We're not telling the truth because we're afraid... We might offend or... It's not lying. We're not lying to one another, but my mom once told me when I was in the car with her and I was a little younger, I was like, if I don't say something that I should, is that lying? And she 
hemmed and hawed, and she's like, well, it's sort of lie. It's, it's deception. It's like, but it's not lying because you didn't say it, but you, you know how you work yourself up into that, right? We need to tell the truth to each other. That's what Paul is saying. And this is truth-telling in its strictest sense of the word. It's not just some spiritual truths that are expressed to those who don't know Christ. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just telling the truth. Stop lying. Tell the truth. Let's not be deceptive. Let's tell the truth. Remember I said right up the beginning, Paul's getting practical. We're getting really practical here, right? Bear with me. Work with me. Keep going with me, okay? There's three more of these Paul gave us, right? Number two, he says, process your anger. Process your anger. Examine your hearts. And don't sin with your anger. Don't sin with your anger. He doesn't say don't be angry. You can be angry. There's plenty to be angry about in the world. Plenty to be angry about. But let's be angry about the right things and let's deal with it and let's move on. We should not live in anger constantly. And most of our anger is very selfish. A lashing out at things that are simply offending us. They're hurting us. And that kind of anger only leads to bitterness. Possibly even rage, which he mentions a little bit later. We don't need that kind of anger. Again, when you're angry, try picturing Jesus living in that same moment you are and try picturing him being angry. It's an interesting exercise. Just try it sometime. The third one. Instead of stealing, let's be generous. That's the alternative. Instead of stealing, let's be generous. If everything on the earth belongs to God, Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, right? Psalm 24, 1, if you don't know that one, memorize it. It's a really good verse that helps keep us focused on the fact that you don't own anything in this world. You might think you do. You might have a car. You might have a backpack. You might have an iPhone. You might have whatever. It's not yours. It's God's. God owns everything. And all you are is a steward of everything here on this earth. And so you can be more generous. And the more generous you are, the more he fills it back up. And so we are not to be stealing, trying to take for ourselves, trying to care for ourselves. And we're not about that. It's about being generous and helpful and And I'm not talking here about being frivolous. I'm not talking about throwing your money at everything that's out there and every need and everybody that says, I need that. No, it's not about being frivolous. It's about being filled with a heart of generosity instead of stealing and taking and caring for myself. Instead of stealing, we become more generous. So search your heart this morning. How can you become more generous? And here's a fourth one. It's a tough one. If those weren't bad enough, right? Some of you got those figured out maybe. But here's the tough one. It says, um, no evil talk. Ouch. Ouch. What is evil talk? Really, in this context of building unity and strengthening our relationships, it's anything that works against that. Anything that works against building each other up. Anything that tears someone down, anything that hurts someone, anything that makes someone feel less than whole. That is really, really huge in our day because it is so easy and so commonplace to just rip on one another. 
and tear them down and cut them to pieces and let them know where they stand. It is really, really easy. And we even do it with our best friends because, you know, it's kind of how we show love for one another, right? If I'm ripping on you, then, then that just kind of means you and I got it like that, right? And as long as I got it like that and you got it, and we're all good and we, we can get along with one another, we're all great because I can rip on you. And yet secretly the person you're ripping on is cringing inside because you don't really know what they're thinking. You don't know how they're receiving it. One of the best things one of my youth group leaders told me a long, long time ago, he said, Scott, it's not what you think you said. It's what they think they heard. It's not what you think you said. Because you could say it with all the right reasons in your own mind, but they're hearing it in some awful different kind of way. So we have to guard our lips, guard our mouths. And just like we've done with the other one, just imagine Jesus sitting around ripping on you. Imagine Jesus just sitting around ripping on you. No? Like you can't do that? Like, I, I don't know. I couldn't. I tried that this week. I really did. Like, I knew I was writing this, but... It doesn't work. I, I just can't imagine Jesus doing that now. I can imagine Jesus chumming it up and having a good time with me, but ripping me, like tearing me down, like saying some things that he knows might hurt me? Mm -mm. So why would you do it to someone else? You represent Christ? Or do you think you just represent yourself? And here, if you're following along in your scripture, here is where Paul inserts that idea about grieving the Holy Spirit. Basically, the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, right? He's at work in our lives and in our community to build us into the model church, into the model community that lets the world see Christ through us. So when we engage in all of these negative things, we are saying to the Holy Spirit that we think we know better, and that we have a better way. And he's hurt. The New Living Translation says that we bring him sorrow. So what does that imply? It means, number one, that he's very much a real being with emotions. Capable of feeling and thinking right along with us. He knows what's best for us, right? For who has known the mind of the Lord except the spirit within him? Some of you Bible quizzers might recognize that. Yes, and if he knows what's best, and Christ modeled it for us, and we choose otherwise, then that's simply thumbing our nose at the Holy Spirit. And that hurts him. That's grieving. He's put a seal on us, it says, marking us for the day of redemption, but we can completely undermine that and ruin it through pain and hurt and alienation. We are to get rid of all this stuff and be kind to each other, to be tender, to forgive, to put on our full new identity. 
Now, mind you, those words, to be kind to one another, to be tender, to forgive, that was a completely foreign concept to their culture at the time. Just like you might be hearing that now and saying, Pastor, you're just a little bit out of step. Like, if I try to live that way out in the world right now, just it's not going to go well. And I get you. But the people hearing this the first time would have been thinking the exact same thing. The Romans were known for their brash and their tough and their rough exteriors and their relationships. Lest any of you listening now think that this is all sort of apple pie and, and pumpkin pie, whatever your favorite pie is, right? This is the same message, and it would have hit their ears with the same level of exasperation. What? Be kind? Forgive? Be tender? What are you talking about? How am I going to survive in the world if I'm tender? What is that about? This is crazy. Paul, you're just a, you're just a wimp. You're like soft. You're thin-skinned. You like can't take a joke. I mean, I need a group of people who can handle me. I need a group of people who can relate to me. Who can stand up for themselves and not be hurt by all this uh, emotional weak stuff and this vulnerability. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about being soft. He's talking about being like Christ. The world and you and I, we might label it as weak or soft or thin-skinned, but Christ would label it as meek and mild, self-controlled, but strong. To have self-control is a level of strength that the world doesn't comprehend. To have control over our flesh, to maintain our resolve, to live right, to say no to evil, that is a level of strength that goes way beyond being brash or harsh or abusive. Look under the hood of all that bravado and you usually find somebody who's hurting. The way of the church, the way of Christians, is to cut through the pain, to offer healing, hope, and peace. It is the way of forgiveness. At this point, I need an amen just to know you're still with me. It is the way of forgiveness. Proverbs 4, starting in verse 23, says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Keep straight the path of your feet and all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. In chapter 5, verse 1, we pick up with this thought. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Remember that you and I, we are masterpieces in progress, made in his likeness. Paul reminds us of that right now. So love as Christ has first loved us. Love each other. Build each other up. Deny yourself take up your cross the same cross on which christ demonstrated his love for us and that while and that while we were not even reconciled to him it's time to leave the old ways behind 
Put off the old stuff. Search your heart. Find the ways in which you have believed the ways of the world more than the ways of the church. Let God's Holy Spirit reveal some things in you. Put off those things and be transformed in your mind and then in your actions and then change your attitude and you will change your life. Amen.